Where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where in ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. Frederick Douglass. Bending, Not Breaking. Season 5, Episode 11. Night of a Thousand Stars. Welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And I'm Ben. And we are here to dive into more of The Legend of Korra. More Korra. Book two. We're, we're episode like, 11. We're pretty far along in of the season this now. this season. Yeah. Yeah. Things are happening. It's, it's all happening. happening. That was unplanned. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> um, so we'll stop quoting Bring It On the Musical and Lin-Manuel Miranda's work. And we'll go into this episode... Uh, a night, night of a thousand stars. Yeah, I like this. I like this. You like this episode? It's fine. I don't love this. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Out of all the episodes, it's it's fine. There are some moments, but generally, it's it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we get into that, yeah, we've got things to talk about. What are we talking about? The lens, probably. Oh, of oh, how we we're probably looking talk about through that. <laughs> a night of a thousand stars. Yeah, we are. We're talking about a lens. What is our lens? Class. Class. We're looking at it through a lens of class. What is class? Right, so the definitions I took down, a set uh, or category of things having some property or attribute in common uh, and uh, differentiated from others by kind, type, or quality. Um, Really, the system of ordering a society in which people are divided into sets based on perceived social or economic status, mm. um, which I think when we think class, that's what we go into. Yeah, I also think of like, like, not just class status in terms of ec- economics, but also like social rank, social and, currency. Almost, yeah, like so, right? exa- yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like right, like or you know, the, oh, that's classy. Right, you have to right? have a, you have to show up with the. A sense of class. A sense of class, like a little right. bit of elegance. You can't show up right. to a six p.m. wedding. Yeah, this is a, this that is has a, to be a black tie event if it's six p.m. This is a high quality event. Yes, right. So high quality. Pinky comes out. Up mind. Yeah, pinky out comes to mind a yeah. little bit. Cotillion. Um, Cotillion. I had to do that. I didn't. I skipped it a lot. I also wasn't didn't very classy. I didn't me. do it at all. Yeah, sunshine, you're so classy. Like that's let's. Let's dive in a little bit to that notion. <laughs> Let's unpack that <laughs> phrasing a little bit. You're so classless. Not, not even. Well, right, because uh, the an insult. You lack class. Yeah. Which is a social construct, mm-hmm. right? So, you know. Okay. Ben, if you if you if there's anyone who ignores social constructs. Uh, <laughs> around well, what I don't is know classy, what you're implying here. <laughs> I've seen you on a Saturday night where we go out and you're like, I'm wearing gray sweatpants and a gray sweatshirt, and that's what I'm wearing out tonight. And I don't care if that's not the norm. Um, I'm, is, that that's not, what I'm, is that not the norm? I, I would say I would say that there are people out there 
that would say, hey, it's not very classy of you. And you and you say, ah, okay, I'm, com- <laughs> I'm comfortable, I'm warm, and I'm drinking, so I'm fine, yeah, right? Those, those, those <laughs> all align. I don't understand what the problem is. This, this feels great to me. <laughs> Um, there have also been times where we've been able to go to like concerts together, like to the theater, to the theater, and we've seen a musical. Indeed, quite. and that is another example where some, like, there are some people who would say you have to put on your best when you go to that type of event, mm. and people would show up in suits to that mm-hmm. event, and we'd go in PJs every now and then, partly yeah. based off of the fact that like we were privileged enough to afford season tickets. Yes. Um, and so maybe a little bit of the allure of I'm going to the theater tonight was like, eh, <laughs> we're going to go see hello Dolly and, well, I'm, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> well, it's also, I feel like class is a show also in a way like I'm, I'm not, I don't feel the need to perform class, right? It feels performative. Yeah. I don't feel the need. If I were going on a date, Perhaps I might not wear my grout fit, right? Sure. But, like I don't see the need to impress you or worried about what other people will think of me when I walk into that space. Mm-hmm. Because who am I going to see that is that I care about that will care about me in such a way? And if they do care about it, then I'm like I don't I don't know if I that feels good to me, and that tells me more about them than it does about me. So mm-hmm. I, I it it that's that's how I. Yes. You know? Right. So what we're getting at is it's a social construct that only has as much relevance as the people put into it, right? That only It only holds as much currency as those who are engaging with it mm. care to give it. Yeah. To just hark on last episode, like this feels like there's a binary of class where you either have it or you don't. And I live in the liminal space of I feel classy in my sweats. Sure. Take that, world. Because what is class except, you know, in the, the etymology seems to, to dictate class is um, an ethical or moral state that you should be living into. You should mm. act classy. Yeah. Um, which would mean that if you are not able to afford those things or um, not engage in society in that way, that yeah. that would make you unethical or unmoral or wrong. Um, and so just the, the adjective of classy seems to be one that perpetuates an idea yeah. that you are less than mm-hmm. if you don't do those things. Yeah, my first lesson in class uh, came out in the movie Chicago, the musical version of Chicago, with a song by Catherine uh, Zeta-Jones and Queen Latifah called Class. And there's a lot of lyrics in that in that that are just really speaking to this. Like, whatever happened to fair dealing, pure ethics, nice manners? Um, <laughs> why is it everyone now is a pain in the ass? Like, whatever happened to class? Mm-hmm. And it's this lament almost that, like, people don't live into the expectations of the the past, right? And it's interesting because to me it's like, it's really important when I think about previous generations or like kids nowadays don't have any manners. Kids don't do this, do that. And like, and things are changing, right? The world is changing. When typically the people who are saying those things are, are mad that a, uh, a structure is being challenged, 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, here's a life that I've lived. I had to go through all of this. I don't want challenged because of where I am and the privileges that it allows for me. And so anybody who's challenging those things must be in the wrong, must be not classy. And, again, it's a false equivalency that we're seeing. Being kind is classy. Being kind is upper class, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. (laughs) Those things are not connected in that way. But that's how that language gets used, and that's mm-hmm. how we hear that language used prevalently, like very much so uh, in the world that we're, we're well, going in. And it's lumped with other, other some of the other lyrics in there is whatever happened to old values, fine morals, good breeding, right? That, like there's a lot of things that are contestable, in, yes. <laughs> right? And so it's just really interesting to, to consider how conflated, like, quote, old values are with our current conception of what class is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just important to, to, to consider in this conversation. Well, and yes. So as we go forward and understanding that things like morals, ethics, right and wrong are not dictated by social economic classes that your are put on us by your ranking right, in exactly. society, um, if there is one. And so we'll see a little bit of that today as we go through that. But before we, we, do we feel like we've still got a good place of I feel like class in the lens that we're yeah. in? I, I now, I'm not an expert on it. No. <laughs> as, 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 which is true of so many things. Uh, pretty much I everything. I'm not an expert <laughs> in a lot of this. Um, so we'll talk through it. Um, something that's interesting and in, in, that we can talk about before we get into the episode is I was as I was kind of like looking into my research, one of the, the studies that popped up for me um, that seems like it could be be applicable into this episode is um a group of scholars did a series of tests essentially flashcards just just generic kind of like intelligence quizzes things Mm -hmm, like that mm -hmm, that were mm -hmm. taking place and they they had a slew of people participate in those things and then they measured how well they did and how well they thought they did on those things Mm, okay signifiers uh like um Financial status, educational status, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. upbringing, mm-hmm. Um, family structures and dynamics. People who had more privileges or higher rankings in those things across the board thought they did better. Viewed themselves as more capable than others, mm. thought they did better than others based off of those factors, regardless of what the data actually pointed to, which was a pretty randomized assortment of. Some people were better at flashcards because they were better at memorizing of flashcards. Some people were better at questionnaires and trivia questions because they just happened to know that material. But it was pretty randomized across the subset of people that were um, participating in these studies. But overwhelmingly, people who were richer, people who were more educated, um, people who had a, a higher status in their society from a pretty mass amount were saying that they were more capable and more likely to do better than others. So it was an exaggerated belief that they are more capable than other people just based off of their class status, um, which I think is some, a super interesting thing to to lift up. Yeah. So I, I believe that. I'm not surprised by that data at all. Ready to jump into the episode. Maybe it's because of my privilege that I'm not surprised by that. Data. Maybe. Uh-oh. Right? Yep. All right, so. so we are moving into the content of the episode, which means we need to recap it. And by we, I mean you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, without further ado, I'm going to put 30 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? No. 
On your mark. Yep. Get set. Go. Tencent and Korra return and share that Janora is trapped in the spirit world. Bolin sees Mako headed uh, as he heads to the finale of Nuktuk and brings Mako a poster. Nuk-tuk. Southern Water Tribe embarks in a battle with the Northern Water Tribe at the Southern Water Tribe. Red carpet event with famous people includes President Raiko, where Varric win- wines and dines him and his family. Uh, Varric presents some movers Ten and seconds. pleads for a hero. Waterbenders attack the theater, tries to kidnap the president. We also see a fight with uh, Tonrock and Unalak, and things go haywire, and the president won't help. Ding! That was like that was great timing. Yeah, a lot of fighting in this episode again helps us. Yeah, have to recap. You were able to cover Ooh. a lot just because yeah. of the, and then they fought and then moved on. Okay, great. Um, great. Well done. Yeah. Well, that covers the episode. So uh, let's this has talk. Been yeah. Not breaking moments of <laughs> class. Uh, one of the first things that pops up into me, to me is the way that we see Mako treated. Mm, tell me more. Um, so, yes, as viewers, we all have varying opinions on Mako's behavior. Indeed. Um, with people coming back and relationships that happen and people being angry with each yeah. other and maybe not being honest. And mm-hmm. despite those things are uh, yes and those things, I we're not there. We see Mako treated differently by his peers on the police force, uh, by the way that Varric is easily able to frame him. And I think a lot of that is because of where he comes from. I agree. Right? So he, he, for survival purposes when he was younger, had to work alongside the triple threats. That made it very easy for them to be like, your old pals, the triple threats, look at you. We even see Bolin make claims to his language of like, well, you're a criminal. Like, you look like a criminal. You're where criminals are. And yeah. you do criminal things and criminal, right? And so <laughs> we see, and that's his own brother who is navigating a similar space, but yet a very different space now yes, uh, in this very season. Different. Um but we see that it is easier for them to pin him as a villain, to pin him as a criminal, to frame him, um, and for Varric to be the the lead force into that. And I think class and the power dynamics that play between them are one of the big factors of why Mako is in that space to begin with. Yeah, I think the ability to for Varric especially, because we hear from Varric that says, and I put you in jail, right? And... and this is I did it. He he, uh, he, he admits his wealth and influence to be able to do that. And I don't think that I, I think rather that because Mako has no capacity to defend that, right? He has no one, his like goodness and like, you know, rule following attitude makes it so that he's like, Okay, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail. I disagree with what you're doing, but like but I'm how am do I supposed it. to change this? But right how, now, exactly. Now. And then also I think that he comes from a position where he does not have a lot of money. He comes from a position where his social clout isn't very high. He's coming from a position as the, you know, rookie and grunt worker on the police force. And so it's easy for everybody to take advantage. So not only is power uh, a factor here, but financial uh, capacity and all of those are a factor in, you know, our imagining of class. Now, and compare that with the way that he shows up uh, when he tells Asami and Bolin that Varric's behind all of this in the way that they mm-hmm, react. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why He helped me with my business. He helped me do this. He helped me do these things with his finances and power. Yeah. He has to be good, right? Like, he did these he things. He hired me to he be in a mover. Me, right, exactly. 
And so we also see the difference in the way people respond based off of assumed morality in connection with things that are financial and class status, right? Um, yeah. We see that. Oh, Bezos can't be all that bad. He donated 50K to this university. It's like me donating 50 cents. Right. Well, in a, <laughs> um, a, a recent article come out uh, has come out that says um, – <laughs> Actually, in I the think last two years, in the last two years, Jeff Bezos's ex-wife, um, Mackenzie Scott, yes. has donated more to nonprofits than Bezos has donated in his entire life. Yeah, um, and she's worth much less than he is when yeah. it comes to that type of stuff. Um, but we see how we connect, like the ability to do, to shroud things with finances or performative actions. Yep, but you're in, when you're in an upper class situation, makes people view it differently than they would the someone else giving their time, money, yeah. effort, right? Like, it, people are more. It's almost like it's permanent rosy colored glasses that are on when someone has privilege and wealth, right? Um, it's like, oh, they have this. They must be doing something good because our culture values financial cup capital as a good you are morally good if you have more capital because you earn capital based off of what you do and what you do is generally something so like people who do more get more have more it's the american dream it's like all of these things perpetuate this belief that having this class in terms of finance means that you are better than mm -hmm. And we see people defend those things, even if they think that the structures are not um, fair or not uh, have do not have equity throughout their the consequences that those structures have. You see people defend them yeah. when it benefits them. Asami, Bolin are both receiving the benefits of yeah. Varric and his wealth, and so they are way less likely to see Varric as being the villain and they are more likely to see that their brother did something wrong mm. or their boyfriend did something wrong even though they're in relationship with mako yeah we even we get pieces asami can't come visit it reminds her too much of her dad yeah right and so even though Asami has relationship with Mako. Bolin has relationship with Mako that's arguably stronger than their relationship with Varric. I think that you could argue that the class status shapes the way that they view Mako versus Varric. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying it's the only thing and that's the reason, but I think that it, we would be I'd remiss, be, if, be remiss not, if we didn't say yeah. that that was, wasn't a factor. Yeah. I, so I want to shift focus a little bit to Bolin. Because his interaction with Mako in this in this prison cell mm -hmm. is strange. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. Because why is he going in this room in the first place? Like I don't I don't get it. Because it seems as though it's very self serving. Right. It's not I wanna come visit you, Mako, to see you and see how you're doing. I wanna come and give you this poster of, of me. me. Because it's like, guaranteed to cheer you up. Yeah, and it's it's like the language he uses is really weird because like it just feels like he goes and says, "Oh, I want I want to be sincere," and it's sincere my butt. 
it feels like he doesn't believe Mako at all. He truly, like, he goes on and is like, oh, like, you're going to really win with this, you know, asylum defense. And he's, like, talking himself into believing Mako is actually a criminal here. And it feels like he's trying to justify it in his own mind. And it feels like, why go in the first place? Like, I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah. I, yes, and have we not all been in a position where we've done something under the guise of we're helping someone else? But in reality, it's self-serving. Like when you dig deep enough into it, have we not all been in that situation before? Man, this feels. I don't know that I've done this. This feels this, egregious. Like this, right? Like <laughs> I, I feel like I can live in that space where I have done things that I, I wanted to help, but it was really to make ease my own comfort and discomfort rather. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where this feels like egregious, right? <laughs> Uh, it just and and so my my question and it is, might be yeah my question is is class playing a role here and and I think my assertion is the answer is yes um, because you know Mako and Bolin are coming from the same space right they're both um, coming from poor histories in terms of finances they're coming from having to work with street gangs they're coming from this place where one might suggest that class is not high uh, in terms of their their class. Um, and so now that Bolin is kind of tasting what it's like to have class, so to speak, I wonder how quickly this has like tainted his his history. And I wonder how much like, in, I guess that's my question. Is Bolin's newfound fame and fortune, has this changed him to the point that he is now truly acting without regard and without thinking about his history? And, like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, so part of this the study that we referenced earlier is this idea that uh, privilege begets privilege, right? So... Um, but what it starts, what it, what people who are continuous, continuously living in that space are starting to find is that you forget that there are people that have gotten you there, that there are privileges that have gotten you there, and you start to think that you were the one that was capable enough to get there. You mm. were the one to be a part of that. You're the one who did the work to get you there. And we've heard this narrative with Bezos again, <laughs> yeah, just to pull, lift that up. Pull right? yourself like, up by your bootstraps, right? had yeah, nothing yeah. to do with the fact that he was given a $300,000 gift from his parents right like that like already illustrating that, that, that is a, <laughs> it was very different than someone saying yeah. i started amazon with nothing in my pockets well you had three hundred thousand in your pockets yeah um bolin's kind of in that space right he is now in the upper echelon i earned this i deserve and, being and this, here and, and this is where we kind of get to did bolin do hard work yeah i'm sure that on the sets of those films, he put in effort, and it was hard and tiring, and he had to memorize lines, and it wasn't like there are. It's you can do hard work, but that doesn't erase the privileges that also played into getting you to that space. Um, most celebrities come from wealth. Um, majority of them come from wealth. The self-made artist is typically uh, a pretty big myth that doesn't exist, and so. I think what's happening with Bolin is to, as we equate some of these things to goodness, if I have to believe that 
my situation wasn't what got me here, I also then need to believe that their situation wasn't what got them there. Mm. So for yeah. me to believe that my choices were what got me to being rich because I don't want to acknowledge that there are outside privileges affecting that, I then have to assume that Mako's decisions and not his environment put him in this into this situation. Which is really interesting because that really reminds me of our conversation last episode again with navigating these spaces with especially with Cora who was navigating the fact that that means that even in the darkest places there's sometimes going to be light and even in the lightest places there's going to be dark it's, right it is, these binaries don't exist they, it's not either or everything is liminal like right <laughs> depending on which philosopher you ask yes yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um some would say no nothing is liminal uh, but uh I think you see this is it's not just my decisions got me here. It's my decisions and the help of others and the support of others and the people who provided me housing and the people that helped me provide food. Like all of those things got me here. Mm. Um, but again, if you truly believe that I'm the reason I'm in this space, then that must mean that they're the reason they're in that space and it has nothing to do with environment. Yeah. And that is a false binary that we have to push back on at all times because mm. it's also not just completely your environment that leads to those things right yeah but we know for a fact that environment plays major factors in our decisions and the way that we have to navigate the spaces around us yeah oh so yeah bolin is struggling and i think we can see that part of that is he's been thrust thrusted into this upper echelon and is now trying to act accordingly. Yeah. Is what it feels like. So that's interesting. So it, like the pressure of this newfound space is also like, oh, I have to live into this in well, order in order you don't to keep lose this, it, right? Right? People mm. fight to not lose power. The power that they have. Yeah. Yeah. And if that means that I have to act this way to not lose it. Right? I mean, I it's a it's a trope for rich kids on television shows, right? Parents saying, "Yeah, it is." If you have to do this this way, or else I'm, you're you're cut off. You're cut off from your trust, right? Fund. Um, Jennifer Aniston and Friends and Friends. I'm sure, it happens in Gossip Girl. I didn't watch Gossip Girl, but I'm uh, sure there are moments. I of don't that. remember if they get cut off. Happens in the OC. Love the OC. It happens a lot. Um. But we see those moments of you're going to lose all this if you don't make this decision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think that that's part of it. Um, we also can talk about how class allows people to believe that they're above the world around them. Ooh. Um, I have a person in mind. Who do you have in mind? Oh, yeah, that's good. I was also going to say the president. Yeah, Well, yeah. And here's one of those things, because if we look at the president, right, I un he's got a structure that puts him into a place of power. Yep. He's overseeing Republic City. He does. If Republic City falls, where is his power? Gone. And so he's going to view and make decisions, and this is what we see, based off of what he believes is going to protect his system, mm. and he doesn't view the fall of the Southern water tribe is going to have an effect on his system. Well, no, I think that his words said that like, Oh, we have to be prepared. To we defend. have to be prepared to defend this city, right? My priority is this city. 
Whereas the things that happen out there, like I need to be prepared for when that comes here. Which that's a whole episode on a diff- different ethical argument. Agre- yeah, like, I so agree. like because I, I don't think he's wrong. Because the what's the question? So the question is for, for the president of the United States, for instance. What is what is like and this their is responsibility? Like foreign to policy. Help. There's yeah. a whole like cabinet based off of and this. You got to tell you. I and where's the responsibility know very lie? very little about foreign right? policy. Where does the responsibility lie? Is it the, quote, greater good of serving the world, or I need to prioritize my citizens? And the answer is always, oh, my goodness, we need to talk about this with a bunch of people and make sure that everybody... <laughs> but, like, because it's not easy to make that it's decision. It's not, no. But it seems like... And I don't know, maybe the generous assumption is that he has had this conversation with a team of people, but it seems as though Riko is making this decision by himself. By himself. And that it seems feels, that way. That feels that feels icky. wrong. Icky. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't know if the decision is wrong. I don't live in those spaces. Well, it feels, I don't know if I have the like because it's the borderline of like performativity as well, where it's like I'm going to, you know. I'm going to bolster up so that we are defending ourselves. But where's the, like, I don't know where the moral line is of like, I've sworn in my oath to this city. Have I sworn my oath to the greater good of the world? Right. Like there's part of it is oaths. Part of it is ethics for the, the world at large. There's part of like, there's just a lot going on that needs to be considered here. Even when you're looking at this moment through classism though, in class, President Riko's in one position yeah. to send others off to war. Correct. Which is a demarcation. Like, who typically fights in war? Who is typically recruited to be warriors? Who is typically recruited to be in armies? Um, it's not the upper class. It's usually because a lot of times <laughs> the army is known for paying for education, mm-hmm. right? And so you get to go to college for free if you serve, right? And so... It does. It often recruits people that are in positions of hardship rather than people who are genuinely interested. And they, don't get me wrong. There are lots of people who are genuinely interested in serving. But And there are people who are troubling. experiencing hardships that are also genuine. Like, it's yes, not, a, again, exactly. as we talked, yeah. it's, their binaries are not existent in that way. But typically, recruitment for at least our military is heavily done in high schools and – Recruitment centers that are put up in yeah, poor neighborhoods, formative and things years. like that, to make sh- to say, hey, this is a way that you can pay for X, Y, and Z. It is typically poor people being sent off to fight the battles of the rich, yeah. um, to maintain the power that is being held by the rich. Yeah, um, and I think that we can't we can't ignore that that is what would likely be the case in this situation. Yeah, yeah. But with Varric as well, we see his ability to make decisions based off of the fact that he's got the the wealth to do it. And the and the resources to yeah. do it. And the connections to do it that all come with a sense of how many le- more people are willing to help Varric as a chance to get a part of his wealth. Yeah. As a chance to be a part of his inner circle. Absolutely. Um, we see people say yes to Varric earlier in the season – because of his class status. And that's when Bolin comes in and be like, he's not levitating. Yeah. But we see a room full of people tell him that he is as a way to be a part of that class status. Yeah. Um, so the connections, the finances, his ability to navigate the space around him is different. One of the concepts that uh, has been brought up before as, as we talk about our own uh, justice system mm. is that 
laws whose consequences are fines are only enforceable to poor people. Yeah. Or to people who do not have the means to pay those fines. Yep. It is only a deterrent for those individuals. Um, because what's a speeding ticket to someone who has no problem paying it off? Yeah. What's a bail to, to someone who has no problem paying it off? Yep. Um, and so for Varric, we get that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We even see the privilege with Varric of people who don't like him feeling like they need to compromise with him mm. because he has the finances, the resources, the ways to get what they... Because it's dangerous to go against Varric. Right. Right? As it is often dangerous to go against people of significantly higher, quote, class status mm-hmm. than than you. Right? And like, mm, yikes. Yikes. It's a lot. Uh, Any we... other points we want to bring up? Yeah. I, I want to... I want to talk about this moment, and this is just a, an interesting moment that I didn't quite pick up on on my first watch through, and I just it leaped out at me this time. So, this moment where all of these people who are watching the mover are in the pro bending stadium, and we get you know snapshots of everybody in their box, and the president and his wife are in like the you know presidential suite, right? They have the little hoity-toity pinky yeah, the, out, the pinky out box, and you know. They've dressed up for the occasion and red carpet from the Fire Nation because they make good red things. Yeah, exactly. And you know, there's this moment in the movie where the character of the president is like, "I want to help people," and then the wife leans over and says, "This this mover's, you know, really interesting. But you know what? They got one thing right. That president's character is right on the money." And I found that to be really interesting because I I would not have described Ryko as that way. And it's really interesting because like my view is kind of tainted. It's tainted by what we will, what we have seen in the show, what we will read in the comics. And his wife sees him as, wow, you care about people. And I like, and I, and I see that in you. And so I'm curious how, you know, this is a relationship in which, you know, theoretically these two are equal on equal footing, right? Not necessarily by literal rank because he's the president and she's uh, his wife and without necessarily, you know, political rank, so to speak. But I'm curious about, like, class interaction in personal relationships, especially between, you know, uh, significant others. And I'm just curious... I found that a really endearing response that she was able to see the, you know, the potential in him as well as, so I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think one thing that's worth highlighting is that, uh, as much as we've, cause I already can say that we, I feel like we've been painting a picture of upper class, not necessarily great. Yeah. Which isn't, there's morally, ethically problematic. Well, I'm just there's no way to de- like to, to make a marcation in the line, draw a line in the sand that says like if you are making X amount of money, if you are upper class, you are immoral, right? Yeah, I think we can look at Asami that and just be like everybody loves Asami. And we've also talked about light in the dark, dark in the light. Yep. And yep, so yep, I, yep, I yep. think that all of that exists. I think two things potentially happen in these relationships because one, there's a potential that Buttercup Ryko is 
sees the best, again, is ignoring structures that are in place that are benefiting her. So there's a possibility of that. She also is in relationship with and can genuinely have moments of seeing these things in the person that she's in relationship with. She's close to him. She sees him interact daily. And so there's also a reality of is Buttercup seeing things that we are not seeing? Because um, I would say Raiko is back and forth, right? He is not uh, – I don't know why I always, like, envision President Raiko as being the same person as uh, Wrath in – Pride. Uh, what's the no? What's uh, Full Metal Alchemist? Yeah, in uh, Full Metal Alchemist, it's Pride, and Full Metal Alchemist, Brotherhood. Brotherhood. It's, it's, it's wrath. wrath. Um, I view them as the same character in my head. They get mushed together Fear because they Bradley. look very similar. Bradley and Riker are not the same, but we. Um, they look similar. They do look similar. But what I'm saying is, we he is really just a politician, and so there are going to be moments where you're like, yeah, I like that decision, and there's going to be moments with Riker where you're like, I, you are doing that for the wrong reasons. Mm. Um, and again, it's not this binary, and so I think this Buttercup right here is is highlighting that getting to know people, or I'm losing the thread. I think Buttercup is highlighting that there is an ebb and a flow that comes with the way that we engage with the world around us. And it is not necessarily either you are good or you are bad, but it is a space of I can see these things in you and you do this and this time you didn't do it and I don't feel great about that. And yeah, it there's seems, an ebb and a flow that comes with it. It seems like there's more grace in when we are in relationship and can actually know the person and their values, what they care about, and then see that their actions in response. And when we when we know them, like it's, it's hard to hate people close up. Right. It's it's one of those things where the more you get to know them and get to know. And that's why they have this, you know, there's this trend of like complicated villains where like people are making, you know, really, you know, really easy to kind of understand. And that's why all of these villains in Korra are maybe Unalak aside, <laughs> but easy to understand and grapple with and agree with. There's a lot of people who listen to Zaheer and are like, I don't. Here a I problem. Hate, I don't hate everything. I don't hate everything that he says. Same thing with Amon. Don't want you to right? mur murder Korra, but yeah, you know it's the same thing with Amon, right? It's there's a lot of people who are like, dang, that's that's legit. <laughs> and so it's one of those things where once we hear the stories of these people, we start to realize the reasons behind it, and it creates empathy and greater understanding. And it just, I think it's just illustrating that class is similar, right? When we get to know people, class dissolves. Yeah. Very that's that's so. kind of my what I'm arriving at is that it's a construct. It is a social exactly. construct that means nothing and everything at the same time. Yeah, right. Like it means nothing. It has no effect on your your sense of being able to create strong relationships and your mm. ability to be enough and your ability to to love and support others. It means everything in the way that we engage with the world around us. Yeah. A ticket for having a, a license plate that is old because you weren't able to afford the taxes on the license plate, but so you get doubled down with an additional ticket for it. Yep. Is very different to someone who is in that position than someone who is like, oh, yeah, I just forgot to change my tags and I've got the excess money to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are two very different things. And so Super it means different. nothing and it means everything at the same time. Here, here. And I, again, I just you can't erase the fact that Buttercup is benefiting from 
the systems that are in place that yeah. has that power. And so maintaining that by creating a positive environment for President Raiko in her mind might be something she's looking to do. <sighs> All right. Can I go to a different spot? Yeah. Can we talk about Tone Rock and Unalak? God, I hate Unalak. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so bad. Uh, yeah, so I need to know how people are freezing each other. And staying alive. And staying alive. We saw it with Azula. It was just for a little bit. Yeah, like so like Ton Rock's a little bit different because he got like frozen and then immediately like Super Saiyan punched through it. Yeah. Um Azula was stuck in it. Yeah. With her eyes able to move. It was really enough to get I I think that probably took like thirty seconds. Right? Because it was one of those things where Katara melted it enough for her to get around and to get the chains around Azula. And then I imagine that the ice came down, right? That's true. The ice does come down. Pretty. It's not like she's stuck like, in it forever. People can hold their breath for a little bit. And I mean, it's yeah. a lot. It is. As long as you don't start inhaling water, I guess. Yeah, but it's frozen. You can't inhale at all. I think it's just a matter of like you can't breathe for thirty seconds. Yeah. But still, scary. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about Unalak and Tone Rock because I'm. The, there's a little bit of a class difference between these two. A perceived one for sure. Yeah, for sure perceived. And the one that I'm kind of pointing to is like the the Northern Water Tribe is... Um, My papa drives an Aston <laughs> Martin. Yeah, the Northern Water Tribe seems to have a bit more uh, money, seems to have a bit more um, perceived... Which is, we saw that in Avatar. Yes, Yes. Like, Southern Water Tribe is rebuilding. It's like, these are the podunk villages down here. Correct. And then up north is like, oh, a city, right? It's the and Hilton Head versus, like, the Myrtle Beach. Yeah. It, oh. <laughs> uh, but yes. And so <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that's important to pay attention to in terms of the relationship between north and south, right? And we get a little bit more, ex like, that's expounded more in the comics, north and south. But in general, this is really interesting because... Unalak wields that privilege and power and in a way that Tonrock does not. Tonrock is still the chief, but there still seems to be this added like humility that keeps his position and or class rank, so to speak, in check. And so I'm curious I'm curious just what your take is on that and then cuz I I have a, a theory that Humility is the answer to everything, but it seems like humility is a tool that Tone Rock has in his tool belt that allows him to navigate his position in the Southern Water Tribe differently than Unalak does in the Northern Water Tribe. But yeah, I think humility and empathy. Like, play, like Tone Rock has experienced what it's meant to be isolated, to kicked out, have nothing, to travel to the Southern Water Tribe and build a life starting from legitimately nothing. Um, his actions are always seem to be community based, not legacy based, right? Like it, it, mm. it happens to be that his daughter's the avatar, super cool, very proud. But we see him even engaging when like, do we need to start a civil war? His, his processes as he's thinking are rooted in, he's always checking community with people based and yeah. he's checking it with people. Yeah. And he's in conversation with them. Um, and they act without him, and he gives grace. And, you know, like there's – so I think there's a little bit in the way that what is the intent that you have when you are engaging in work, right? When you are engaging as a leader, we're seeing Tonrock as a leader and Unalak as a leader. One is to maintain power. 
Um, one is to maintain a class structure that they believe in that is, and as we've, again, po pointing back to that study, I am better. People who are doing these things are better and more capable to be able to create a world that's positive. So you need to listen to us. We're the upper class. You're letting things get out of hand mm. versus communal leadership. What is in support of the people that are in this community? How are we better serving them? So the intent around those types of leadership are very different yeah. and yield different results. Yeah. Um, power with versus power over. Mm. And I think that that is an important question anytime class is in the picture, right? I, I think that you can't discuss class without discussing power also. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a great example why this, these two in, is giving us that. Yep. Right. And, uh, you know, also Varric and Ryko, but like, it's one of those things where like, it's, it's. Cause that, again, power with and power over where like Ryko might be making a power over decision. Yeah. He might be making a power with decision. Varric's making a power over decision. Yeah. His decisions are what is best for me, my company. Yeah. Cause Varric wouldn't have saved future industries if it didn't benefit him. Mm, Varric wouldn't have put Bolin in. <laughs> to movers if it didn't benefit him agreed if he couldn't sell it yeah right he tried to get mako on his side for it to benefit him couldn't so he put him like moved him out of the way yeah right so oh. in our leadership as we are working with others power with or power over what are what is driving our decision making process here, are we here. are we here to move forward as a group as a community for what is better for all of us or are we here to make a decision based off of what is better for me and damn everyone else? Mm. Wow. All right. Well, I've had a few few moments. Do you have anything before we before we move on? No, I think we hit anything. I mean, I'm amazed that some of the people are living after the battle inside of the arena. <laughs> we talked about the We saw like two feet two foot thickness of rock hitting someone in the chest hard enough to lift them up three stories and then into water and yes we've seen things like this before but like just that person brought it up dead, again right yeah, yeah. like dead dead no he can swim see the amount of like pain that people must be taking when they get hit with the like, earth bending also things like, in, in a, in also a like pro a, bending match because those it's like a solid piece of rock metal. yeah it's not right? like paintball yeah <laughs> right? um but also like i think about you know that guy, that person who took the two foot stone to the chest also like did a profound backflop into the water as well which listen i have accidentally done a flop off of a high dive and it hurts. It, it hurts so yikes yeah so other than that like yeah and again I, we can assume within the world that we're in that maybe there's just different laws of physics that take place yeah that's believable all right but yeah well, here we are. We've talked about class. We've talked about, you know. Do you see uh, Bolin? Oh. Because this is interesting. I wonder if this plays out. Because now that I'm thinking about it, Bolin rips his suit yeah. when he goes to fight. Do you see that as a way of them saying, like, he is stripping away that he's, like, giving away that class and ripping through it to go back to what feels moral or ethical? Or is that? Am I reading too much into that? I definitely didn't take it that way. But like, I like what you're what you're doing. I, I think metaphorically, it's interesting that as he attempts to do good, 
and do uh, it means that he is having to, to literally rip away. He has to take off the, the performative yeah. drippings that are a part of that. Yeah, it's so interesting. Mm. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to think on it. Marinate on that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Mm. If you have thoughts, off the top listeners. Of the dome. Yeah. If you have thoughts, listeners, feel free to send us a voicemail. It feels like we should probably stop asking for those because nobody sends them in. Yeah, what's going on, everyone? We miss those. We do miss those. Send us a voicemail, thearcovy at gmail.com. I'm going to start making pointed asks to patrons. and be like, hey. Send one in. Send one in. You know who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right who you are. You. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> uh, okay. Cool. Well, this has been an awesome conversation so far. Again, Ben and I are experts on this, and so I think I would love to revisit class with in, someone, a, in a future right? episode. Yeah. With someone who really has uh, a better understanding of those dynamics than the mm. two of us. If you know anyone who might be great at that, I think that's a conversation Ben and I would love to have. Because there are definitely things we might be wrong about. Yeah. Um, but we're here to learn and we're here to grow. But, Send us names at yeah. bnb underscore pod or thearchive at gmail.com. Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back after this short break. And we will follow it up with our gratitude, our devotion, and that other segment that doesn't have a name yet. segment we are we are calling hot season cold z's i was just gonna go with hot and cold i like hot season cold z's okay yeah which one's which uh i like when it's i don't know that's a great question i like both the warm and the cold sometimes yeah yeah, yeah exactly that's why I'm we're asking. gonna say warm we like when our bodies are warm even in mm, the cold mm. we're gonna say that's a good thing okay, okay. um and the cold is like frigid frigid <sighs> and it's out there <laughs> Yeah, because even though we, I like the cold sometimes, I want to be warm when it's cold. Yeah. Right. That. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I like so. that. So we're going to call it uh, hot seas and cold seas, warms mm. and colds, however we want to word it. We'll figure it out. All right. What is your, let's start with your cold. My cold. What is your cold? Ginger. Okay. Tell me more. So throughout the whole series to date, she has been anti-Bolin off screen. And, you know, for good reason. Setting he's, firm boundaries. Like, he's like, pursuing her. She does not want him. She says no. She says no multiple times. Very clear. And, you know, as then Bolin does this heroic thing outside of the movie, and it feels very opportunistic that she says, so silly, Bolin. We, of course, were dating. And I just, I think that's sad it, it, well it kind of points to classism and class 
structure being yeah. something that is uh, yeah. admired, right? Bolin did something that was revered and is going to help him boost his clout. And I want to be a part of that is what yeah. it feels like. Yeah. I feel again, it feels the word that comes to mind is opportunistic. And I, I don't, I don't love it. I used to get opportunist as my, uh, descriptor on super smash brothers. And I didn't like that either. Always sneaking in for the sneaking in for the final blow after someone's damage has been dealt by somebody else. And mm. yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, and eh. Mm, not a fan. So that that moment uh, froze me out a little bit. What about you? Yeah, I had it. I lost it. Hold on. What did I say to you earlier? You were not happy about Mako. That's right. Thank you. Mako and Korra and Asami and Mako's inability to be honest at the end of this episode. Very frustrating. It's pretty bad. Because you can sit there and say, hey, we've got a lot to talk about. like now might not be the best time, but we've got to talk about some things. Um, You need to be honest in that moment. And yes, we've all been in a spot where we've kind of been caught off guard and have frozen uh, as a reactionary measure, but super frustrating to see him hurt Asami and then know he's going to hurt Korra as well. You see Asami's reaction and it's just really, he even looks over at her. Like he glances. It's not like he's not aware yeah. Um, which is su- it's such a cruel thing to sit there and say I've been back in a relationship with this individual, and I'm going to actively ignore or do something that is going to harm them is mm. a tough decision to yeah to make. I don't like it. The sympathy and empathy I had for Mako at the beginning of this episode versus the end. Mm. Uh, very different feelings I have about him. Yeah, you know, and so that play, kind of plays into my high, actually, my 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 warm, my my warmth, my hot seas. Uh, <laughs> I I I think what <laughs> my hot seas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually really felt like Mako's uh, welcome back from Lynn and um, the police force, but also from the, his cared family and the when like they recognized that he was right and they recognized that he was right all along that he had been, you know, wrongfully imprisoned and not everybody does, does that. Right. And I, I found that moment to be really um, heartfelt, which, yeah. you know, Mako ruins it, of course, but it's yeah. like, I, I, this moment was really like, nice until I, I then. Had, I had an awe moment and I was like, Oh wow. That's, that's special. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, what makes you all hot tea? Um, I love the moment where Bolin steps out of the premiere or the finale um, to think about everything that's going on. I just, I'm always here for some reflection. I'm always here for mm. some questions being asked of, am I doing the right thing? Mm. Uh, even if the answer is, yeah, you're, nope, you continue on that path. But I just, I'm here for that type of reflection. Um, and so I, uh, that's, that's a moment I like. Here, here. Take time to think about what you're doing reflection absolutely i love it all right devotion devotion through the element of fire yeah we're looking at class through fire class through fire Ooh, wow what are you doing what's your intention yeah i think for me i need to recognize when the systems that are in place are warming me and burning others Ooh, and i need to act to stop those things. Wow. 
Um, wow. And so even if it is burning, even if it is warming me, if in the process it is harming others, then that's not a system that I want yeah. to be a part of. Yeah, you don't want to be like, oh, wow, this fire is so great. And this oh, is, wow. And that's easier said <laughs> than done. Yeah. Right? That is because it's dismantling your own biases and yeah. the and honestly letting go of things that you are privileged by. Mm. It's yeah. not an easy thing to ask people to do. Yeah. But for us to stepping into that liminality, to right? To create a better future, we have to do it. Yeah. And so I think that's the that's the work that I want to focus on this week. Mm. Wow. I love it. Mine's mine's pretty similar, except I'm I'm taking it a little bit more destructive. I just I just want to burn it all up. Okay. <laughs> 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 like burn down, it <laughs> down with the patriarchy, down with capitalism, down with class. Burn it all down. Um, I I have there's this moment where it's just like I I am constantly ebbing back and forth between we can do we can make it better we can get like and then this like burn it all to the ground because it's broken and it needs to, we just need to start from scratch. And these sentiments are awesome, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And require action. And yes. I think that's the part on the back end of this that we have to ensure that we're doing yeah. is work to get after this because yes. uh, as much as one of the most frustrating things right now is seeing ads from the uh, Democratic Party candidates saying like, you have to vote. Our future depends on it. And it's like, yeah. We did. We did. We're doing those things. <laughs> You've done nothing. Yeah. Like what? We we did. So like <laughs> we have. And and then they're like, and and then they say, and you know, it you know your life matters. Black lives matter. And you're like, uh huh. Are you doing anything about it? <laughs> no. Yeah. Right. Like we have to. The action has to be there. Yeah. Um, I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. Yeah. Of we saying are, these things and then not doing anything about it. And so. That's the other step of this is, yeah. which is why we set these intentions, mm-hmm. right? It's, this is like a chance for us to be, for redundant sake, intentional, right? And we, we want to make sure that we are thinking and considering before we act, rather to make sure that we do act. Yep. And, you know, that's one of the things I love about this podcast is that it, it forces me to, to kind of take that one step at a time and, and create an intention every week. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I I'm just sitting in this space of wanting to burn it down, and I I want to get to a space where I have been able to put that aside a little bit and actually set reasonable smart goals that are actionable. Because mm-hmm. right now I'm in a space where it doesn't feel like it's actionable, and mm-hmm. so I don't know that I have a specific follow up to that. I just I I want to name that I feel like I want to burn it down. And then I want to reflect on that this week and figure out what, what's next. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Work to be done. Mm. Gratitude. Oh, I love it. I love gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. I'm grateful for Asami in this episode. Ooh, tell me more. And it's actually in response to your... Uh, My cold seas. Your hot seas with Bolin oh, okay. and Reflection. Yeah, yeah. And I'm grateful for Asami because she notices that Bolin walks out and notices his expression and is tending with care to her friend. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think someone, I read somewhere that someone treated the, like those moments where, you know, there's a description of, I think it's in um, a Brene Brown book somewhere, but. 
again, almost a full episode. But it's of not a Brene Brown quote. It's a Brene Brown Brene book. Brown up. But we were at the very end. This is we were even further along in this y'all, episode. Chill, 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 chill. I'm sensing a lot of judgment. Okay, <laughs> we were so uh, close. But. But here's the deal. Brene Brown, Atlas of the Heart, a uh, new book out. Not sponsoring <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. Haven't read it yet. Don't know if it's good. Yeah. It, anyway, there's a moment in one of her books where it's called a sliding door moment in which somebody is like reading their mystery novel. It's getting good. And I imagine that's how Asami feels. Oh, this movie, it's getting good. And wow, we're getting to the like the really the high moment. And she has an option to either continue watching or to go tend to her friend. And you know you really want to watch because it's like getting good and you want to get to that ending. But you have to choose what's more important in that moment. And that that's that's called like a sliding door moment. And she chooses Bolin. And I think that's really beautiful because I know that there have been times when I have not chosen the way that I wish I had now. So I just, I, I find that really beautiful that she chose her friendship in that moment because it was a nice lesson for me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Gratitude. Gratitude. Super cool. I'm going to give mine um, to Tenzin. I'm going to give mine to Tenzin. For what? I can't imagine how hard it has to be to use all the best information. I think he used the best information and did with that information the best choice that he could, which was mm. letting Janora go into the spirit world. Oh, this is so hard. You're right. So, but he blames himself. He blames, he doesn't blame Unalak for kidnapping his child. He blames himself for putting his child in that position. Mm, yeah. Um, to have to come back to your, your partner and express that your decision put your child in harm's reach is unfathomably difficult to me. Um, yeah. And so to, to, to allow him a space to be seen. Um, I know that's a feeling that parents have felt before in their lives. Mm. Um, to give space that, that for those feelings and those emotions and for that grief and, um, I just want to lift him up, and so I'm sending my gratitude towards towards Tenzin yeah. because I don't think he did anything wrong. I think he made the best decision. Um, well, and he's also grieving himself still, right? This is this is really hard. This is really hard. So, mm. I accept mine. that. I accept your gratitude. It's wonderful. That's our episode. That's the episode. That's it. We did it. Thank y'all so much for joining us today. If you want to follow us on all of the things. All the things. BNB underscore pod. That's Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok. All the things. All the things. Uh, Bending Not Breaking on Facebook and on Patreon. Check those things out. Highly Uh, recommend writing a review if you feel so compelled. It helps us a great deal when you do. And if it's super cool, we'll read it on the show. So. We do monthly live episodes. We're re-going through season one of Avatar The Last Airbender right now. If you want to join into that, hop on Patreon. Any and all of our patrons have the option to join us for that live episode, no matter what level you are giving. We do that monthly, and we're getting to the season finale. We're getting to the final four parts of of season one. So if you want to jump on Patreon, that's a great way to do that, and you can join us for those live discussions. Um, One of our favorite things that we get to do monthly is that. Absolutely. 
Uh, feel free to join us for that. Other than that, I'm Sunshine Mayfield. And I'm Ben Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening.